0: Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. Let's go, let's go. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2, please. Just briefly want to share just a couple of thoughts with you. We'll we'll resume next week on this. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse... 16. I'd like you to just read that and um, look for some warnings about wrong approaches to spirituality in these verses. Look for warnings about wrong approaches, inadequate approaches to spirituality. Look for some isms, what I call isms. We've talked about what spirituality is, but not what it isn't. And in this passage... Chapter 2, verse 16 through 23, he gives us some wrong approaches. Let me read it to you. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Do you see any wrong approaches? What are some wrong approaches in that passage to spirituality? to being truly spiritual, what is he warning us that won't help us? Okay, human commands and teachings. All right, yes. Losing touch with the head, Jesus Christ. If you lose connection with him, uh, you definitely aren't going, you're not on the path toward spirituality. Legalism. Legalism. One of the isms, legalism. Laws and rules being the driving force of your activity. Legalism being laws on the outside, imposing uh, regulations from the outside, as opposed to his laws being written on the inside, inspiring us from within to live the Christian life. Somebody else. False humility, kind of a, a hum. I would call that a human humility. Uh, it's uh, it's a demeanor, but it doesn't have the heart behind it. You know, in other words, it, it's a it's it's really a way to get what you want. It's kind of salesmanship. Yes. That's the other ism. That's another ism, isn't it? Ritualism, ceremonialism, that we're going through the motions, that we have these traditions that we do, and that replaces spirituality. it makes me spiritual because I do these things, these rituals. I obey these laws and legalism, and I do these rituals and ritualism, and that makes me more spiritual than somebody else. Fear of man, trying to impress. One of the words that he uses is, such uh, regulations indeed have an uh, appearance of wisdom, they want to appear, is uh, false spirituality or, uh, in that case, legalism, is it's all about appearing, a, a way of appearing. The way that you appear, they want to appear and appear a certain way. And it's people-pleasing, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's not the ism that I had in mind, but sensationalism will work. I use the word mysticism. Not that there isn't mystical things in scripture advocated, but they're more serendipitous than sought and then created as a, as a means of spirituality. Mysticism that, I, you know, I've seen angels and may I tell you about it. And I've had this experience and may I tell you about it. And I'm more spiritual than you. I just wanted you to know because I've had these experiences that I can't even really begin to describe. Yes, we've got a secret. Yeah. And, and most of them just can't learn it because they're not like us, like, you know, well, that's a false notion because if we have a secret as spiritual, if we have a secret as spiritual people, it's something that anybody can know and we want everybody to know. So it's not a secret anymore. I'm going to tell this secret and the secret isn't some mystical experience. The secret is Jesus loves you, died in your place, rose again. He wants to enter your life and make you a new person. Right? So those are some things. We're going to talk about those isms, I think, next week. We won't take our full time, uh, we won't take much time right now to do that. But isms, I thought of this uh, that, uh, you know how, you, you've heard this, sta- this statement, you're only as sick as your secrets? Well, you're only as ill as your isms. You're only as ill as your isms. And uh, if, you're legali- if, you're, if it's legalism or ritualism or, or mysticism, you're only a, those are, those are spiritual illnesses. Those are not earmarks of spirituality, of true spirituality. Yes, there are true forms of all three of those things, and we'll talk about those things. Uh, in in terms of balance. Yes, there are rules and regulations and laws, but they're written on our hearts different. Yes, there are spiritual, or I should say mystical experiences to experience, but not as proofs that you're spiritual, Because, and I can prove that to you from 1 Corinthians. Uh, So I'm not saying that these things we throw the baby out with the bathwater, but when it becomes an ism, that is a replacement for God i 've had these experiences, I have these rules, and I have these traditions as a replacement for god that 's when it becomes an ism and is an actual actually is an impediment to um, to true spirituality. Let me define ism as the as the elevation to to preoccupation status see because with ritualism it's uh, it's, it's not as though there aren't some ceremonies and some things that we're called to do regularly that aren't good for us. Because the Bible indicates that when you put an ism on the end of that ritual, then it's elevated to preoccupation status and almost the worship of it, putting it in front of God. Uh, and then when we're talking about mysticism, it's not as though we don't have spiritual experiences or mystical experiences either in our walk with Jesus. But it's when it's, again, elevated to preoccupation status uh, and it's, it becomes an ism. And it's not as though under legalism that there aren't laws and rules to, to obey uh, that God has given us. But he's written them in our hearts. And if we, have, if we see them only as on the outside as looming over us to, to uh, hurt us when, when we step off track and we put other people under that same kind of bondage, that's an ism. That's preoccupation status. That's legalism and so on. So there's a call for balance right there to discover what the isms are. But let's, let's look at them one at a time. Let's start with the redundance of ritualism in verses 16 and 17. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, so he says, he's talking about days and diets, special days and special diets. Now, of course, we're talking about Old Testament laws here. Days and diets, new moon celebration, Sabbath days and diet, like the Jewish uh, kosher diet required of the Jews in, in the Old Testament. Paul then goes on to say, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so those things aren't necessary. They're allowed. You can still uh, celebrate the special days and even... Uh, eat a kosher diet, but not as a means of salvation, not as a means of relating to God or having a relationship with God or earning your salvation or anything like that. That would be ritualism, and and it just kind of gets weird. Ritualism becomes in its extreme very weird. Like the rabbis that were that argued for the longest time: Can you eat an egg laid on the Sabbath day? Can you eat an egg laid on the Sabbath day? Because the hen broke the Sabbath by laboring on the Sabbath day. And what they came up with was you can't eat it, but you can sell it to a Gentile. And then he can eat it. (laughs) It's all good. It all works out in the end. But special days, they're just a shadow. And, of course, we want a reality, spirituality, not a... Not a shadow spirituality. They're a shadow. Jesus is casting a shadow. He's around the corner. And if all you see is a shadow, then you're missing something, right? Because you're, you're missing the person, the reality that's found in him. We talked a bit about that, oh, several weeks ago when Luke came up and shared about this verse here. But we want a reality spirituality, not a shadow spirituality. And uh, speaking of Luke, he in the youth group a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, he shared with the youth group this uh, word uh, compartmentalization. Compartmentalization. Do you remember that? No, or were you here for that? Com- compartmentalization. And uh, compartmentalization is when you like compartmentalize your lives, uh, our lives, into spiritual and secular. So, like, I'm doing my spiritual thing right now. I'm in church. You know, got the Bible in my lap. Spiritual. And then Monday, I'll do my secular thing, and Tuesday through Saturday. And then we'll come back, and we'll do our spiritual thing. Or when I read the Bible, you know, a couple times a week, I'm, I'm doing my spiritual thing when I pray, you know, once every three, four months. I'm doing my spiritual thing then, and then the... Uh, it's, I'm just... I'm not talking about me, so... I pray just a little bit more than that. For mercy, most of the time. Mercy, mercy, mercy. But I'm saying when we compartmentalize our lives, rather than do all things Christianly... See, I think a lot of times people think... That the way to live the Christian life is to learn how to do Christian things. Christian things. Read the Bible, go to church, witness, tithe. Those are Christian things, and they're do them. But we're supposed to do all things Christianly. Everything. Christianly. Everything. So you don't compartmentalize. Ritualism tends to compartmentalize our lives. By the way, the isms tend to be uh, competitive and comparative too. So if we are ritualistic or legalistic or mystical, it tends to be, I'm more spiritual than you are because I do a ritual that you don't. Or, because that's easy to identify, isn't it? Or, I'm more spiritual than you are because I don't do a ritual that you do. I mean, if you want to talk about mysticism on that same level, I'm more spiritual than you are because I've had these mystical experiences, that's easy to identify. Or I'm more spiritual than you are because I haven't had those mystical experiences and you have, I'm more right than you are because I doubt the veracity of your spiritual experiences or mystical experiences. Or if we're talking about legalism, uh, I'm more spiritual than you because I do these rules, I obey these rules or I'm more spiritual than you because you obey rules and I don't have any. See how it's comparative when you compartmentalize your life and where there's an ism involved? It's comparative and, and, and competitive. And true spirituality, I don't think it's competitive at all. I want to grow and I want to help others grow. I want to get closer to Jesus and if I can somehow help you to get closer to Jesus, cool. I think that's true spirituality as opposed to this separation, compartmentalization, competitive kind of mentality about it. Um, It's so easy when you're talking about ceremony and ritual to replace genuine, authentic interaction with God with ceremony. And I know the tendency right now, and we're going to stop and pray a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to show us where ritualism might have some influence in your life and mine. Because I know our tendency is to say, yeah, and we could name a group that's very ritualistic, and they over there, oh God, touch the group, that group, and those people over down there, you know what I'm saying? Is it possible that the Holy Spirit would convict us of something that we require a spiritual expression in a certain way or style for it to really have the ring of spirituality to us, and we're kind of ritualistic about it? Because everybody has a liturgy. Every church has a liturgy. Everybody appreciates a particular style. Is it possible that, oh, I can't worship if they do that song, or if they have that kind of service, or if they do that kind of shouting, or if they don't shout, or they sing loud, or if they sing soft, or if they don't sing, or if they sing off key, or if they do it this in this place, or in that place, or if they put the order like this, and they or they worship at the end, or if they worship at the beginning, or if... Is it possible that we're ritualistic if we are addicted to a certain way of doing it? So I'm just saying, you want to pray about that? Lord, where might I be depending more on a ritual than on you or the lack thereof? And I don't know, maybe anti-ritualism or anti-ritual, anti-liturgy, might be as insidiously dangerous as ritualism. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Not about somebody else, but about ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen? The redundance of ritualism. Let's talk about the mistake of mysticism. Verse 18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Remember I said a few weeks ago, somebody can't actually disqualify you for the prize. But if they can talk you into believing you've been disqualified, then you just leave the race and disqualify yourself. And so I think that's what he's saying. Don't let anybody talk you into believing that you're disqualified for the prize. Such a person goes into uh, uh, great detail about what he has seen mystical uh, visions and, and experiences. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And, and so we talked a bit about this last week, false humility, human humility, mystical experiences. He goes into great detail about what he has seen. And I, uh, 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 maybe this uh, will help you identify what we're talking about. Uh, a mystic might be a person who always has to talk about an experience that they've had. Uh, and that is not necessarily, and of course we couldn't judge this. It would only be between them and God as to what was really going on in their heart. But, it, it, but between them and God, there are some that would then do that, uh, go into great detail about what they've seen not in order to glorify God. It's good to share a story. If God moves, it's good to share a story and share it over and over for the glory of God. Amen? But, but if it's for my glory, let me tell you about an experience I had. And uh, so I thought we might com- uh, contrast, this would be the obvious choice to contrast uh, Eliphaz and Mary. Uh, because this is what's probably in your mind. Let's, let's think about, you probably were thinking about Eliphaz Uh, And Mary. Eliphaz being one of Job's uh, three friends. And Eliphaz has an argument to make. Eliphaz is his more mystical friend. He's got an intellectual friend. He's got a philosophical friend. He's got a mystical friend. Uh, And the mystical friend... Uh, has a story, he's got a, a point to make to Job in order to, to uh, d- develop credibility with Job, to, to, to talk Job into believing his position, he's got to uh, lean on a s- mystical experience that he had. Whether he had it or didn't have it, I, I don't know. I'm thinking not, but he, he might, but he certainly goes into great detail. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught the whisper of it, he said. Amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on me, fear and trembling seized me and make all my bones shake. Glory to God. <laughs> a spirit glided past my face and the hair of my body stood on end. I, it stopped. But I couldn't tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. And then right after that, he gives his argument to Job about you know what he thinks is Job's problem. He's one of his friends, you know. Now, how's that different from Mary's approach? Yeah, I mean, she, doesn't, she didn't even tell anybody. She had a real angel visitation. A got, an angel, I mean, we only have a couple of angels named in the Bible, you know what I mean? Michael Gabriel, if you want to call Lucifer, but at least Michael Gabriel. And so, I don't know, if an angel has a name that we know, that's big. That's big if you get to talk to them. You know what I'm saying? That's big. She had something to brag about, is what I'm saying. What did she do? Just say, you know, I think I'll hold on to this. Let's just see what comes of this. As opposed to a guy who has to go into great detail about what he has seen. I, I'm not saying we shouldn't tell our stories. I'm just saying make sure it's the right motive. The mystic will go into great detail about uh, what he has seen. And his uns- notice, his unspiritual mind puffs him up. He's... He's had spiritual experiences, but he's really an unspiritual person, and he's arrogant about it. And, he's, and, and notice what he says. He's lost connection with the head. That means he's lost connection with Jesus. He doesn't need Jesus anymore because he's got these angel visitations. And sometimes people can get so spiritual and so mystical, they've lost connection with Jesus. They don't need Jesus anymore. They've got their experiences. But I get concerned when people talk... So much about the Holy Spirit, they never talk about Jesus. If, they, if, if Jesus hasn't been on their lips for a long, long time, but the Holy Ghost has, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they've forgotten really what the focal point is. The, 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 the crux of history is the cross upon which Jesus died. And I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about the Holy Spirit. I talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. I interact with the Holy Spirit as much as I can or as much as I will allow myself, and not as much as I can. I should interact with him more. My point being, though, let's make sure that we don't elevate our experiences above our relationship. That just makes it mystical. But he also, what else has he lost connection with? What does he say in verse 18 there? Or, yeah, verse 18 or 19. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. What's that talking about? Yeah, the church, it's ligaments and sinews are the things that hold the parts together, right? You got these ligaments all over your body holding the parts together. If you don't have those, you got just, you know, you're jello, right? So you got, and I think that's talking about the church, the relationships. A mystical person isn't really strong in relationships. Why would that be? And oftentimes a mystic will be too good for the church. Now, I'm, I, I, If I could just put it bluntly. You don't mind, do you? just too good. I can't hang out with people because you can't rela- I can't relate to you. I'm too spiritual. Okay, well, go ahead on. Good luck with that. Let's pray about that. Do you want to? Because you know somebody else who has one of these mystical tendencies. Let's just pray. I know someone will feel maybe as though I downplayed experiences in the presence of God today, and I certainly haven't didn't mean to do that, it's just not the point that I'm making today, but we, we love encountering our God. We love encountering you. But those encounters are for life change, not for fun and games. And frankly, it seems like those encounters don't happen every three seconds to me, Lord. They kind of come and go. Maybe that's because of my resistance, but I think sometimes it's because of your plan, too. And uh, I'm wondering if you might convict me and, or any of my friends this morning about mysticism that either is braggadocious about our own experiences or feels like I'm less than somebody else because I haven't had one of those experiences Or we revere somebody primarily for their experiences rather than character. I'm just thinking of the Corinthian church where he called them, I can't relate to you as spiritual, but as carnal. And they were full of gifts. They had all kinds of gifts flowing, but they didn't have any character. Therefore, they weren't spiritual. And if we want to be spiritual, Lord, there's a, there's a, there's a foundation of character that has to be so. There's another day we'll have to talk about spiritual experiences, but God help us to not be the ism part of uh, mystical. Okay, last thing, we'll talk about the lie of legalism. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but they're sel- with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value. That's really a key. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So you got rules, you got human commands, you got human teachings, you got regulations. Like one kid who... who who genuinely thought his his name was don't because every interaction he ever had with any adult was don't, don't, don't. So he just thought that was his name. A lot of people think of God being like that, just the don't God. Now, I'm not saying that there are no don'ts and there are no rules and regulations in the Christian life. It's just that he writes them on our hearts. When I was born again, I remember the first thing that came out of my mouth after all the crying and blubbering and repenting and confessing and thanking and hallelujahing After all that, the first conversation I had was, he, he lives inside me now, huh? I've got some new desires. I, he's going to show me how to do this, isn't he? I, I, the, he wrote his law in my heart. It's so on the inside, his do's and don'ts. And I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I've got to stop this. I just went home and threw away my pot. I mean, I didn't. it wasn't, it wasn't like written on the church walls, you know, the moment of conversion must throw away all your, your dope. I just did because it just seemed like the right thing to do. You know what I mean? So there's do's and don'ts. But legalism is where it's all on. You know, it's more of a earning rather than a yearning. It's an earning of the favor of God. And we can't earn his favor. We can yearn for it, though, and and appreciate his favor and love in our lives, and thank him for his cross. Uh, it has an appearance of wisdom. This harsh treatment of the body—he's talking about asceticism, you know. But then remember the old saying: "If it feels good, do it." Well, their thing was: "If it feels good, don't do it." You know, if 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 it would be something that would make you happy, then that would be bad because God doesn't want you to be happy, and so. They, I mean, through the centuries, there have been the, the, uh, the ascetics who have uh, you know, fasted until they were skinny and, and denied themselves even you know, marriage relationships and, and uh, denied themselves things that uh, God wasn't asking of them. I'm not saying that there isn't something to be said for the disciplines of the faith. We'll talk about that another day. But asceticism, when he talks about harsh body, if it feels good, don't do it, is is an error in its earning of salvation. But notice what he says, they lack any value. They don't work. They lack any value in, in uh, restraining sensual indulgence. They're not only unpleasant, they're not only unscriptural, but they're unhelpful and ineffective. They don't, it doesn't work. That's what Paul is saying. It just doesn't work. It doesn't make you a better Christian. Uh, it may make you stand out as an ascetic, but it doesn't make you a better Christian. Legalism. There's so much more we could say about legalism. But basically it's the obe- obedience to rules and regulations to replace the stunning work of the grace of God that he did by dying in our place and offering us a full and free salvation. Legalism is, is keeping laws in order to f- earn favor with God. You probably know a legalist. I'd like you to get that person out of your mind right now. And I'd like you to think about you. You might not be an ascetic. You might not be fasting till you're skinny or denying yourself things that God isn't asking you to deny yourself of. But, but it might be that you have a, uh, a, a give and take kind of relationship with God whereby you, you do have a sense of, own, uh, of uh, earning it. Just, I talk to so many people who just can't accept that God loves them. Just, he loves me when I'm really doing good. I feel the love of God when I'm doing well. But that's not our God. He just loves us all the time. He wants us to do good because it's better for us. You, let's pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to maybe reveal to us uh, a, a portion of legalism in our minds, in our hearts. Father, am I legalistic? Show me if rules are more important to me than the ruler. Show my brothers and sisters the same. Help us to get to know the ruler really well. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, about any tendency toward Phariseeism so we can be pleasantly and authentically related to you in grace. Amen to that. Okay, so I'm just saying, if you want to be spiritual, then you you got to come to Christ. You don't have to come to ritual. You don't have to come to legal. You don't have to come to mystical. you got to come to Christ. And uh, when we say come to Christ, that's what we mean. Come to him, not to those things. Amen? Keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. Let's go, let's go.